This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet episode to watch or meme to share the world may not want you to sleep but we do only the sleep experts at mattress firm can help you find the right bed at the right price unjunk your sleep in store or online at mattressfirm.com today Welcome to College Talk. I am Russ Goldman, and this is the Player Rating Show. This episode, I once again have a very special guest. That is Ryan O'Donovan, who writes about foam for Football.London. We'll be discussing his ratings for the foam players against West Ham. This should be a very interesting episode, but before I do anything, I have to welcome back Ryan to the show. It's been a little while. How you doing, my friend? Yeah, it has been a while. I'm good, Russ. How are you, mate? I am well. I, I look forward to doing this with you. There's obviously a lot going on with Fulham, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot to discuss in this episode. I'm sure we will. <laughs> All right, well, let's get started. Obviously, it was a very disappointing loss for Fulham against West Ham, and I'm sure that will come up while we uh, rate the players. But beyond that, I, I do want to go through your talking points, which you posted on London. But before we even do that, you were at Claudio's presser after the match. I just want to get your overall view of what you took from it. Yeah, it was quite an interesting one because watching that game, I thought Fulham started really well. And if Kamara takes his chance and puts Fulham ahead, you know, who knows what could have happened there. Yeah. But I thought that second half was one of the worst I've seen Fulham play in a long, long time. It, it I couldn't tell you what happened in that half because it was a complete non-event. You, yeah, know, you had West Ham, who were, West Ham were more than happy to shut up shop go yep. home with a 2-0, comfortable 2-0 win. And Fulham just didn't seem like anything was happening. They didn't seem like they wanted to be there. There, there was nothing going forward. It, honestly, the referee could have called out half-time and could have saved us all 45 minutes of our Saturday evening. It was, it, was, it was a strange one. But speaking to Claudio after the game, he seemed to think that was the best Fulham have played under him since he's come to the club. Now, looking at that first half and how they played, you know, the first 25, 30 minutes, they did really well against West Ham. I thought they had a lot of the ball. They were finding space, exploiting space, and was getting through West Ham's back line without, men, without taking the chances. Yep. But on the flip side of that, you've got, you got to look at the defence in that first period. You know, Dennis Adoy's positioning made Mark Noble look like Xavi Alonso for that first goal, <laughs> where he passes, yeah. spits, spits the defence in half. Felipe Anderson absolutely does Dennis Adoy and then puts the ball back for Robert Snodgrass. And that goal, Fulham have conceded that goal the same goal about three times against Southampton, Leicester yep. and against West Ham now. You know, man on the edge of the box, not been picked up, one-touch finish. And that seems to keep happening and happening and happening. So while, yes, the, the performance might have been good for the first 25, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, in terms of how, how many chances they got and they should have taken them, defensively again, you know, it's just a shambles at the back. So I don't see how Claudio can say that was their best performance because I thought against Leicester, I thought against Leicester they were much better. Listen, I'm right there with you, and what's interesting, and I've shared this on the show, 
I'm watching the NBC Sports broadcast with uh, Arlo White and Lee Dixon. And Lee Dixon said this, Ryan, when talking about the back four, you just said the positioning was all wrong. And if you watch it, you know, it, it's not that it was easy for West Ham, but they he kept pointing to the crossfield pass, just setting everything up for West Ham and, and how Fulham just couldn't deal with that. Yeah, it's, it's true. And, it, and their first goal came from that crossfield pass. You know, Mark Noble completely split Fulham. Saw Felipe Anderson out wide, saw Dennis Adoy out of position. He puts it back to Snodgrass, they score. And the second goal, you know, play moves over to the right. It comes from the right again and play moves over. But the two centre-backs don't pick up. That yep. There's two men behind them. So they both get drawn to the first man. And Michel Antonio is there free at the back stick to, to pot it home. So the, the positioning for the defence, I know Claudio Ranieri has been drilling them defensively ever since he came to the club. But it just doesn't seem to be getting much better you know it's the same problems still exist right and what's funny about this ryan and and i said this on the post-match show and i believe i also said it on full time maybe you disagree with me on this but the problems that i've seen for Fulham, i could all go all the way back to the opening match against crystal palace actually this match reminded me some of that yeah yeah we know the problems have been there all season i said on twitter that jakanovic was slammed for He's attacking style that left Fulham too open, and that's why they were conceding goals. But Ranieri's completely changed that philosophy. You know, they're they're much more set up to be defensive yeah. and play on the counter now. But the the problems are still there. Still you know, so you, you can't blame you can't you can't really blame how the team's playing, whether it's under Slav going for goals or under Ranieri and setting up to try and get a clean sheet. The defensive problems are still there, and they have been all season long. Okay, so. I totally understand you on that, and it's just it's frustrating because I'm trying to see what's the issue here. Is it just not taking? Is it the players? And I guess we're going to find out over time. He'll have to drill them, and I think I saw that he said it's just something that they're just going to have to work out, you know, again in training, and then, you know, um, that's where they need to really refine that, and it just it isn't there yet. But let's move on. Let's Let's now go to your talking points, and uh, I find these interesting. There are just a few of them, and I just want to get your thoughts on each one of them. The first one is interesting. It's Ryan Sessegnon's injury, and this came out of the blue for me because I I watch all these interviews with uh, Claudio before the match, and uh, I I think he said that basically there were no, like, major new injuries that I can remember, and then, of course, you know, we see the starting 11 the 18, and Ryan Sessegnon is – not a part of it. And then it, it becomes this thing. Well, why did we not hear about it? So what are your thoughts about the injury and also the lack of notice on this? I'll start with the lack of notice on it first. Under Djukanovic, he was always very forthcoming with injury news and press conferences. But I think with that, it just depends on the kind of manager you get. Managers yep. know the opponent managers will watch their press conferences to get any kind of advantage and that would include injury news okay. with Slavica he he didn't really seem to care about giving out injury news he, he'd give them out he'd, he'd tell you exactly who was injured but with Claudio he seems a bit more tetchy with it whether that's just because he's he's always been like that and he doesn't want to give opposing teams any sort of inkling I over who's going to be though. out yeah I get it so I, I think that's probably the main thing that's happened with Ryan Sessing because we saw it with Callum Chambers as well yeah, in the same park. Thing. it was the same thing and because Ryan Sessegnon was such a major part of this Fulham team, and so is Callum Chambers now, you don't want to put that out down on a Thursday or a Friday and give the opponents chance to to work around that. Right. You want them to think that you're, all your players are going to be playing. So with Sessegnon, he probably... I, I don't know whether it was early in the week or later in the week, but I don't think it would have been... I mean, what, when did we speak to him? We spoke to him about one o'clock on Friday. Right. I don't think it would have happened after that. I think he would have already been injured before that. It's just Claudio... Making sure, you know, it's, it's games. That's that's exactly what it is. But in terms of how big an injury it is, you know, it's his groin. They they tried to play. It was tried to be played down a little bit, but I'm not sure whether or not he's going to be all right for that trip to Southampton. You know, especially when it's a groin injury. You know, it's a muscle injury. You don't want to rush that. We saw with Joe Bryan, his right. hamstring, and and Kevin McDonald's hamstring as well. These kind of muscle injuries aren't something that you want to rush back from because it, oh, it, it can really mess you up. Like we saw Michael Owen once he done his hamstring in, that was him that was him done for basically because he was rushed back and his hamstring was never the same. So when it comes to muscle injuries, you know, it's, it's not something you want to rush back, but having Ryan Sessney on out, I know he's 18, but I saw a stat on Saturday. He he's played, he played 62 games in a row before that injury. You know, the last time he missed the match was in May, 2017. That's a ridiculous wow. run of form for an 18 year old. You know, it, it, even if he was 
peak 26, 27, that would be a ridiculous run. But for an 18-year-old to play that many games and be that prominent in a team is ridiculous. So I'm surprised he hasn't picked up an injury before this. And that just shows how good his conditioning is. Very durable. But very much so. But now he's injured. I am concerned that he's, they're going to be without him for, for the trip up to Newcastle. And when he's out of the team, you can see the difference. Because yeah. on Saturday, there was just nothing, nothing going forward. Yeah, listen, we talked about this on the uh, post-match, and I believe also on full-time, like I've said, on, on a couple of things. I think they missed Ryan Session. I think that that showed itself. And uh, it's unfortunate, and I'm glad that you mentioned the groin injury because we talked about this as well. I think this is something that needs to be watched because you have to be very careful with that, and I think it's a serious doubt for him to play against Newcastle. I completely agree with you on that. All right, your next talking point, this is an interesting one because as watching every Tom Kearney match, I personally feel strongly that he should not be playing right midfield. That's just me. I've seen it, I think, again, takes away from what he does so well. He needs to play central. And your talking point is Tom Kearney plays right midfield. So let's talk about this. Yeah, Tom Kearney under Ranieri is a bit of a strange one. I'm not entirely sure he knows what he, what he, where he wants Kearney to play and what he wants to do with him. Because we've seen defensive stability is key for, for Ranieri. Yep. So that means having your banker four and then having two defensive midfielders. And he's played Chambers then. Chambers has done brilliantly well since coming in there. And he looks set to be that defensive midfielder for the time being. And then he's played Seri, who, you know, he, he hasn't hit the heights that he should have and he's not been playing well. But he is still defensive-minded, he can still break up attacks. That's where Tom Kearney was playing under Djokanovic, but didn't have to do the defensive side of the game. He could pull the strings from there, yep. but without really doing the defensive side, because he had Kevin McDonald and Stefan Johansson with him in a midfield three. So I don't think Ranieri would play him that deep again, knowing full well that he can't really do the defensive side of the game, which is absolutely key for Ranieri. He wants right. defence, defence, defence. So that leaves Kearney being pushed further forward into that number 10 role which he did okay in, but yeah. again, he didn't really, he's not really done, put his head above the parapet much. He, you know, he, he's, he's done well, but without ever being more than like a seven out of 10, he's never, he hasn't scored yet. He hasn't really assisted. He's not really getting shots off. So again, and when he's on the counter, he's not fast enough either. He's not fast enough for Ranieri's style of play to, to really get him going. It takes him a while to get the ball out. So then you move him over to right midfield where he can cut in and have those shots that Ranieri wants him to have off his left foot. But again, it takes him too long. If he's out on the right, he's going to receive the ball to his right. He's then got to shift back in on his left to have a strike. And that's causing the play to slow down and stuff. Yeah, so it's too slow for that. It's very slow. So I'm not sure where Tom Kearney fits into this side. You know, we, we know Ranieri wants to play defensive and hit count and, and play fast going forward. But Kearney slows that down. That's why he's so good under Djokanovic, because he slowed it down. But then he had the outlets and was able to put the passes through. But if you're getting him to try and play faster, he hasn't, he hasn't got that. And I, I thought he had a poor game on, on against West Ham. You know, he didn't really do much out there, mainly because he was. I think he's wasted out there. But every time he did get the ball, he'd, he'd come inside too often, and you know, we'd, we'd see him cutting inside into his into into left hand channels and into the central rows, which would leave a lot of space out on the right for Dennis Adoy to push forward into. But once Dennis Adoy was pushed forward into that space, he was left isolated. Then and he didn't have his man helping him track back and stuff like that. So from a defensive side of things as well. Having Kearney playing there, you're missing out something that you know Ryan Cessna would bring on the other side, right. getting back and forward, back and forward. So it's a really interesting one with Kearney. I don't know where he fits under Ranieri. I know Ranieri wants to fit him in somewhere, but it's a I question know. of where. And that's the problem because this really this situation is square peg and round hole because he doesn't fit out there. I've saw in the championship, it just didn't make sense for some of the reasons you just mentioned. He just acts and plays much better centrally because then he can distribute and do what he needs to do. But when you're asking him to play outright, like you said, the play slows down and it slows down Fulham and it just doesn't work. And so, but he wants to get him in there. It's like, he's just trying to find a role for him, but that just isn't the role. At least that's my opinion on that. All right. When you've got, when you've got a player like Ken, you have to play him. You know, but with players like that, I know Ranieri's concentrating on defence and getting defensively solid. When you have a player like Kenny, sometimes, you know, you've got to build it around him. And that's what Djokanovic did. Djokanovic built his team around Kenny and it worked. He totally did. We haven't seen that yet with Ranieri. So it's it's where he's going to fit in over the new year and 
and into the new year. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, that's a great point because the team was built around Tom Kearney, and, and now we have to see what Ranieri's going to do and how he's going to implement Kearney because where he had him in the last match, it just didn't work. And like you said, he has to play him, but the question is where. All right. One last thing. We've all already talked about the poor defensive performance that is an obvious one. We talked about the back four, but I want to ask you about this more bigger picture. He wants them to defend as a team. So I think it goes even deeper, Ryan, than just talking about the positioning of the back four, which has been poor. But I want to talk a little bit about just the defending as a unit, because you've been watching these matches and uh, have you seen improvement? Was this just a step back from the other matches? That's a good question. Under Ranieri, I think, yes, they've improved defensively because they're playing more defensive. You know, they clearly are being drilled defensively every single day at Motswell Park and they seem to know their jobs more. You know, they, they're more compact. We don't see the wing backs, the full backs now bombing on like we used to. They they stay very much compact. But whether or not Fulham are any better today than they were a month ago, I'm I'm not so sure. You know, we're, we're yep. still seeing the same mistakes. I think you speaking about them defending as a team and yes. Ranieri defending as wanting them to defend as a team. I think we're still seeing them 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 struggle with that because it, it starts from the front. You know, it starts from Mitrovic. Right. And we know Alexander Mitrovic is not a defensive minded striker. We know he struggles with that. And we saw that at Newcastle. And that's why it didn't work for him at Newcastle. So there's a problem already there in that Mitrovic can't do that role. He's brilliant at defending corners and crosses into the box. But then when you drag him back for them, you have nothing there, nothing up front to go to. So he contributes defensively in that sense. But in terms of pressing the ball and that from the front, he does struggle with that. And we've seen that before. Then you're talking about the midfield. A lot of the goals, I think Chambers and Seri have worked quite well as a defensive two, Chambers especially. Yep. But, you know, we saw against, I've mentioned this previously already today, we saw Southampton, Leicester and West Ham. We saw the same three goals on the edge of the box. We saw, it, we saw it at Old Trafford as well against Manchester yep. United arriving on the edge of the box. It's those defensive midfielders that need to get closer to defence when when teams are breaking at them because at the moment there's still too large a gap between that back four and those two. That that gap needs to be closer to stop those balls coming out to the edge of the box. So I still think in terms of defending as a unit, there's still a lot of work to do. But again, Ranieri's been there a month, so it's he's, that, it's that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. You know, you're looking at a full pre-season for that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think it will come eventually. The thing is, I think it will come eventually, but maybe we might see it a bit too late for it to actually have much of an effect in terms of Fulham conceding goals. You know, you might be looking around March time for them to actually start <laughs> to doing that, which is, you know, which, which is not going to help Fulham in, in terms no. of getting out of the trouble they're in. No, it, it's not. But glad that you talked about the gaps because that is definitely an issue. And uh, just go back and watch the Snodgrass goal and you'll see that. So that's a, a great point by you, my friend. All right, let's uh, now go to your player ratings. And um, it's funny, Ryan, because I was struggling to find, I guess you could say, uh, a, a man of the match. I, I, I really did. I, I was actually asked for one. And, uh, you know, I struggled with it. In fact, I was honest. I said, I don't know if I can give anyone really. I said, if you push me, I'll give you a name. But I, I didn't feel comfortable giving a man of the match. And that just tells you how poor the performances were across the board. And I think you're going to agree with me on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking through mine again now and thinking back, I'd I really struggled to find anyone that was was above average. You know, I suppose you could say yeah. Chambers was decent again. He had a pretty good game. Joe Bryan put in a shift, I think, you know. Yeah, I gave it to Joe Bryan. Yeah. That's who I gave it to. But yeah. to be honest, then I look back, and we were talking about this on uh, the post-match show. If you look back and you look at the second goal, where's Joe Bryan? So, you know, but I was but I was struggling to find someone that had, I guess you could say, a man-of-the-match performance, and it, it was hard. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think with Joe Bryan, the thing I'd say about him is you could clearly see him trying to put in a shift out there. You know, yep. he, he was putting in the effort. So, yeah, for a man-of-the-match, Joe Bryan would probably be the best one just because of the effort he put in, you know. Right. Apart from that, it, across the board, it, it was poor. And that second half, like I said, I can't remember anything happening in it because it was just one of those. Okay, very good there, my, my friend. All right, 
Okay, Ryan, let's not waste any more time, though. Let's get into your player ratings. Let's start with the goalkeeper, Sergio Rico. You gave him a five. I'll just read what you said and add anything that you want to it. This is what you wrote. He couldn't do too much about the goals, but his kicking this evening was pretty poor, something we haven't seen before in the past. Nearly fluffed up completely at the end when he missed his clearance with Anderson getting in, but he was let off big time. I remember that. That was pretty bad. Okay, thoughts on Rico? Yeah, Rico's a funny one. I find every week I write, I come to the player ratings. I've written things for nearly everyone except Sergio Rico, you know, because he pulls off some good saves. But a lot, yep. I haven't, there's not many goals that are actually down to his, to him. You know, you see, I don't know if you saw Liverpool United last night, but Alisson, Alisson messed up, yep. he messed himself up, you know, to let United score. But we, we don't really see that from Sergio Rico. So no. it's all, so despite him conceding in every game he's played in the league, I always find it difficult to give him a poor mark. Yesterday, though, uh, or Saturday, sorry, I, I did see his kicking was was poor, which is something I've not personally seen before from him. You know, him being brought into the side was to play the way Jakanovic wanted to, a goalkeeper to play, you know, playing out from the back. So he was, we know he's good with his feet, but on Saturday, he's kicking. He looked like he was under pressure every time he went to kick that ball. Yep. And it was finding touch. It was it was coming back at him. You know, it, it was awful. And, and and at the end, you know, with Anderson, he was he was a very lucky man there. So... Yeah, I gave him a five this week just because it was just one of those. He didn't do anything. He didn't have really many many saves to make because West Ham were just content with hitting those two chances and then doing shutting up shop. So it's a weird one for the goalkeeper. But yeah, I, I gave him a, an average rating. Okay, very good. Let's move to Dennis Adoy. You gave him a four, and this is what you wrote. Was turned inside out by Anderson and was at fault for the first West Ham goal when he got beat too easily. Moved the center half at halftime to get away from the West Ham man. Such was his display in the first half. So thoughts on Adoy with a four? Yeah, I Dennis Adoy, you know, he did, he's done well at center half under, Slava, under Slavica. And he did well under, at center half under Ranieri as well. But for me, he's, he's just not a Premier League defender. He, we've seen you know, him get beat. We've, we've seen him get beaten easily at center back. And then playing him at right, mid, at right back. At Old Trafford, firstly, I, I don't know what the thought was behind that. And you've got to think what Cyrus Christie has to do to keep a place in that side. Because I don't think he did anything wrong in the first few games under Ranieri. And I do think he's a much better right-back than Dennis Adoy is. And we saw that in the in the first half. He got turned inside out by Anderson. You know, he's positioning, like I said earlier, turned Mark Noble into Alonso. And then he had to be moved to centre-half because he was getting toyed with by Anderson so much. But then he didn't really have anything to do in the cent- in the second half because... West Ham were just content with their lead. Although I did, yeah. I did enjoy when Andy Carroll came on. I said to my colleague who was there, who covers West Ham, you know, Dennis Doy v Andy Carroll. Well, that's it, very strange. It's just, it's a, <laughs> it's a mad matchup. You know, you hope he had like insurance purposes taken out or something like that because Dennis Doy is, is shorter than I am, and that's saying something. And then Andy Carroll's a giant, so it was, a, it's a weird one still seeing Dennis Doy playing at right back. I, I, I don't know the reasoning behind it. Yeah. Uh, it's a very interesting one, my friend. All right, let's now go and let's talk about Joe Bryan. You gave him a five. You mentioned him just a, a little bit earlier. Some of his position was poor, but he was one of the only players out there this evening that you could say was putting a shiffer aside. You've already said all this. Anything else you want to add about Joe Bryan? Yeah, I mean, I, I still don't know whether or not he's a he's a Premier League player either. I've, but with the benefit of the doubt with his hamstring injury, you know, you still got to give him the time to adapt to the to the league, like I said, some of his positioning was poor, and I thought that in the past, particularly at Everton, before he got that in- uh, injury, I thought up at Goodison Park there was a few times where he was caught out of position down that left, but he put a shift, and you could tell he was trying. You could tell he wants to impress and wants to do something in the Premier League for Fulham. So for that reason, I gave him a, a five. You know, I I still think I think it'd be unfair to judge him at the moment, considering yeah. he was injured for so long. So I'm prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt, but. I think the jury's still out on whether or not he is a Premier League player. It's very interesting that you say that because, again, we've been talking about this. There are players that Fulham are using in the Premier League that are championship <coughs> players. Let's just be honest here. I'm not sure about him yet. I, I had high hopes for him, but it's somewhat, something that we're going to have to watch. But I agree with you. We, we need to uh, have more evidence and time for Joe Bryan to see if he is a Premier League player. All right. I, think with Joe, I think with Joe Bryan, on the end of the transfer window, I still don't know why 
you know, Tony Khan and the recruitment team didn't just pay the extra money for Matt Target. We we've seen he's a Premier League player. He's playing oh, he regularly. Is. For, he is right he's now. playing regularly for Southampton now as well under the new manager. So I, I don't know why you know you'd already spent a hundred million in the summer. Just get Matt Target. That, that you know the extra haggling. I don't know why. I, I don't know whether it was because Southampton had, you know, muddled Fulham along throughout the whole of the summer or, or whatever. But with, when when a player like Matt Target who knows the side yeah. and is for five million extra. I would have just paid the money. I would have paid it too. He would have made it. He would have made some difference. Yeah, I, I I agree with that, and that was a frustrating situation. You know, we we were talking on Cottage Talk that maybe there was some animosity with Mark Hughes and Full. Maybe that was what was going on. I don't know, but if it was just money, I, I would have paid the money because uh, you know what you were gonna get with Target. He, he's a proven player, and he's a Premier League level player. We just don't know that yet on Joe Bryan. I hope he is, but that's something that we're going to have to watch. All right, my friend, let's now talk about the center backs. This is what you wrote about Alfie Mawson and Tim Ream. Let's start with Mawson. You gave him a five. This is what you wrote. Struggled against Antonio all first half when the West Ham man, looking like he had the beating of Mawson. Then this is what you said about Ream, also five. Struggled in defense during the first half as horrid defending reared its head again. And was sub for Christie at halftime. Okay, what are your thoughts on Mawson and Ream? Yeah, it's another one that Slav got slammed for changing his defence all the time. And it looked like Ranieri had settled on a back four, but in the last couple of weeks, he's changed it all up again. Now we're seeing Tim Ream and Alfie Mawson at centre-half together. Yep. And I don't, I don't know whether it, it works. You know, we saw... They didn't seem to look to, to, to chat to each other for that second goal because they both went to the first man and left the man behind him open, left Antonio open to score it. And Antonio was having a great time against Mawson. You know, he's yep. dragging him left, right and centre. So, and then to, to try to take Tim Ream off at half-time, I'm not sure if Dennis Adoy is a better option at centre-half than Tim Ream is, in all honesty. But again, I'm not sure Tim Ream is a Premier League player either. I know. So there's another name that, that that we've been talking about too, Ryan. I mean, he was brilliant last season, absolutely head and shoulders, and it was probably the best season he's ever had in his football career. He was a colossus at the back for Fulham and absolutely brilliant. But this season, you know, and I know with Tim Ream, he had a horrible back injury at the start yeah. of the season, which, from talking to him, sounds like it could have ended his career. So to come back from that, you know, you're not going to be like you were last season. So it's unfortunate for Tim Ream, but he's not one to to blame circumstance for, for what's happening to, to defence and what's, he's, what's happening to his season. But again, I don't know whether he, he's a Premier League player at this moment in time. And Mawson signing a player with such a bad injury in the summer is, is, a, is, a, gam, is a risk. We saw it with Rafa Suarez last season as yeah. well with that ankle injury. And he never really... See, I, I was nervous it. about this signing because yeah. of the injury. Yeah. I mean, we know Alfie Moore. Last season, he looked like Paolo Maldini at Swansea. So if he was to come available, it was always going to be a player that people wanted to sign. And if we if if we got the the Alfie Mawson from last season, it'd be an astounding signing. But you just don't know how I don't know how much that knee injury has affected him because he still to me doesn't look as mobile as as he was last season on the pitch. He doesn't look like he moves about the pitch like he did at Swansea. It's funny because with knee injuries, it could take another year before you, they get back to normal. It, it matters the severity of the injury. I've seen that in, in several sports. So. That's a good point about Alfie Mawson, and, and I'm glad that you said about the signing because that's what made me nervous is coming off this injury, and I understand he's available and, and how good he was last season, but when you're coming off an injury like that and he's injured coming into your team, that's a that could be problematic. And I think it's been a little bit, but I, I still have high hopes for Alfie Mawson. I think that he's Premier League quality. I think he's already proven it. All right, let's move on. Let's, let's do Callum Chambers and Jean-Michael Severy together. You gave Chambers a five. This is what you wrote. Put in a decent shift in midfield once again, but was forced to clean up others' mistakes while he was too far from his midfield partner when West Ham scored their first. So that's what you said about Chambers with a five. Seri, you gave a four. Endured a torrid first half once again. He gave the ball away far too easily and struggled with the defensive side of his midfield work. Had so little impact on the game and was subbed on the hour mark. All right. Let's start. Uh, let's start with Seri, and then then we'll track back to Chambers there, because is this the same player that I saw in the first match of the season against Crystal Palace, Ryan? I'm just puzzled by Sean Michael Seri. 
I think everyone I speak to in the press box is puzzled by what's happening with Seri because we thought against Palace and Burnley that this kid was Champions League quality. You know, yes, he he did everything. He he broke up. He chopped up. He didn't just break up attacks. He chopped up attacks. He he got ball. He got man. He got everything. Seeing him move back that that midfield area was brilliant, and his range of passing was superb. But I was speaking to I, I was speaking to someone on Saturday. I can't remember who it was, but that mistake. At City, and I think City was the third game of the season, third, yes. fourth game of the season, something like that. Yep. And he gave away a mistake. He, he turned, he, he received the ball like he was doing from the goalkeeper, yep. and then he turned, but he turned into trouble in the first second. And Fernandinho had him for dinner, and they scored. And ever since then, he's just not looked the same play. You know, he doesn't look as comfortable as he did on the ball, and he turns into trouble. We, I saw that against West Ham on, on Saturday. He'd, he'd get the ball in midfield and he'd turn into trouble, and immediately there'd be a player on him and take the ball off him, or he'd try something silly, like letting the ball go through his legs, not aware that there's a man on his on, on chambers within seconds. And I think he's just not used to that pace of the Premier League yet. And that's a big problem, you know. Yeah. I'm I'm still certain there's a player there. There's de- There has to be a player. You know, there has to be that the quality talent. player. Definitely, there has to be that player. There's a reason why Barcelona, Chelsea, Arsenal, all these teams <laughs> were looking at him. But there's also a reason why they didn't go for him. Yeah. I think we're seeing that now, you know, the pace of the game, he's not quite up to it. He he, he seems to let mistakes get onto his back. I, I had people saying that he was Fulham's best player, but I, I just didn't see how. I mean, yes, he passed yeah. the ball about a bit. And yes, you know, he... he, he I he saw you tweet about the stats, but that was yeah. a situation where the stats don't tell you the picture. And that's the problem with stats, you know. I think, I'm, I think stats should be used in football. And I think people that say they shouldn't are... You know they're behind the times a little bit, but I don't think stats should be solely the basis of what of what you're going to do. You know, yep. stats can paint any picture you want them to paint if you can manipulate them in a certain way. You know, you've got those expected goals. You can say Fulham's expected goals is su- such and such, but the reality is they're bottom of the Premier League. You know, if you use if you use stats to to help what you're seeing on a football pitch, then that's where they come in useful. But if you're using what you see on a football pitch to use to your stats and use it the other way around. It yeah. just doesn't work. And and that that's that stats with Serie I tweeted out, you know. Yep. He created the I most chances. Well what does that mean? What what kind of chances is he creating? Is he putting people in or you know it, it, it doesn't explain what kind of things he's doing. Yeah, he what is a chance created? Is that a shot from twenty five yards out? Is that getting into a certain area? That stats I feel stats still have a lot of a way to go to to actually being, you know, you implemented properly in football I do think they should be but a lot of the time like expected goals is another nonsense one for me that oh they should have scored this and this and this because they're in a better position but we know that's not how football works no you can score from 30 yards out or you can score a tap in it just doesn't it doesn't work for me so I think with Seri you know I know I've, I've gone way off the point here that's <laughs> okay that stuff like that but <laughs> I do think there's still a player there with Seri but whether or not he fits into into Fulham or English football, I, I'm not too sure. And that's been my concern, you know, and I'll put Ngisa in that same bubble too because I'm not sure about him. And I'm not saying all French players. I'm just saying that I think the pace of the game and uh, how quick it is, again, it's this awareness, Ryan, that I think both of these players are missing. It's that they just don't understand that they have no time in the ball. And they don't understand that they've got players around them at every moment wanting to take advantage of them. You know, again, you, you've been talking about the situations with Seri. I can throw in the Chelsea match as well with Conte just taking advantage of Seri. And this is yeah. going to happen if you're not aware of your surroundings. And I think he's still struggling with adapting to the Premier League. All Absolutely. Right. And, and it was Arsene Wenger who said, you know, you need to give a player like that six months to adapt. Yeah. And I completely agree, like... I, I do think there's still a player in Serie, and I think there's a player somewhere in Anguissa as well. Yeah. You have to give him the time, but frankly, Fulham don't have that time at the moment. You know, if, if it had been second season and they say say they got promoted last season like they did, they spent yeah. in the summer like they did, they stayed up. Second season is when you can say, right, we'll bring in a player like Serie, we'll bring in a player like Anguissa because we've got that time now. We're established, we know what we're doing. But for a first season Premier League to bring in a player like that. Have him not perform and then say, oh, you need to give him time to perform. Fulham don't have that time. No. You know, we're in January now. I said at the start of the season how they went into this busy December period. If they went in with momentum, they'd be fine. But they've won two games all season long. And it's, 
you know they haven't got the time to to rely on people to to get up to speed with things like that they need to start doing it now otherwise they're going to find themselves adrift i totally agree with that and uh we've been talking about the next three matches are vital and mike greg my co-host said this ryan that for fulham to have a chance in the second half of the season the next three matches they need six points tend to agree with them I'm getting off of a point here. Let's, let's just go back quickly to Chambers. Anything else you want to say about him? Um, I think I mentioned it. You know, those those gaps in between defence and midfield is somewhere that concerns me with Chambers. You can tell he's not a natural defensive midfielder yeah. because those gaps would be covered by him. But again, with, with Chambers, he puts himself about. He, he, he tries, he puts a foot in, he puts in a good performance every week. But when the team's conceding so many goals and he's the defensive midfielder, you can't give him any more than, than you know, the average marks. Okay, very good. All right, let's uh, now go we'll, go a little bit faster here. I'll give you Andre Scherler and Abubakar Kamara together. You give them both a four. Quickly, this is what you wrote about Scherler. Failed the track back for West Ham second, something which is being common for Scherler. Got into some good positions, but his shooting was erratic. And then on Kamara... Spurned some glorious chances to get himself on the score sheet in the first half. Struggled to get into any good positions in the second half. I'm glad that I'm bringing these two players to you together. Because when I look at Sherla, I hate to use this term, but I think it it fits. He's a luxury player. That's the way I'm looking at him right now. And uh, I don't know if he fits to what they need the rest of the season. And I want your thoughts on that. Kamara? Not the finished article, but he gives you 150% out of 100. You know, he goes above and beyond. So he might not have all the skill. He's not the finished product, but he gives you everything that he has. So I want to get your thoughts on both of these players, your ratings, but also what I'm talking about here. I'll start with Sherla first, because Sherla's the easier one to, to talk about in, in terms of that. Because like you said, luxury player, he he can score a wonder goal like we saw at Cardiff. And he can he can get himself into good positions, but... His shooting was erratic and he doesn't track back. And that's what you need. If you're going to be defensively solid, you need to yep. track back. But you need to be able to provide going forward. I think that's why Scherler plays because he can do that going forward. But, you know, he he beats his man from time to time. But then he gets into a good position and shoots. He doesn't play other people in. That's the frustrating thing. And then when they lose the ball, he's out of position and he doesn't track back. So that for me is frustrating with Scherler. You know he's a good player. He's been at some big clubs, but again, you can see why Dortmund let him go, despite him being their yeah. record signing. Kamara, I I don't know where to go with Kamara. I, he's not he's not a Premier League player for me. Castle, he he shouldn't be anywhere near a Premier League side for me. You know, if if you went to any of the other nineteen clubs, he wouldn't be playing for them. And that's that's just I think that's just a fact. He, he okay. does he's got good effort levels, yes, but this is the Premier League. You know, you could put a you could put a League One player in there who will give 110%, but that doesn't mean he should be playing there. And it's the chances you get. As, as a striker, as a forward, in, yep. in the top flight, he has to be scoring the chances he gets. He should have scored twice against West Ham. You know, that first one where he's been put clean through, he gives Fabianzi an easy save to make. He doesn't really test him at all. And then the free header he gets in the box is a dreadful header. And with Kamara, I just... He's not... He's not a Premier League player, you know. I can see why Ranieri uses him. He uses him for his speed and because he can... Yep. On that counter, that's who you're looking for. You know, he's going to blitz past people. And, you know, he's he's built like a brick house. He's yep. fast. You know, he, he looks like he should be a complete footballer. But his intelligence on the football pitch lets him down. You know, I think we saw the perfect example of Kamara on Saturday. He, he went shoulder to shoulder with Zabaleta and... Push, push Zabaleta about 10 yards off the pitch, you know, in a brilliant show of strength. Then he went to charge forward, but after about two strides, he forgot the ball behind him and, and was, the ball was taken off him and, and West Ham went forward. And I think that sums him up perfectly, yeah. you know. If he... It's just... A, he's just frustrating. He's a frustrating player. And I yeah. don't... You know, the, you look at it, when they signed him, he scored, what, 11 goals last season, yes. But even in the championship, you were looking at him and you're thinking, this this bloke shouldn't be playing in a top championship side. And he shouldn't. I don't think he should be playing in a Premier League side as well, you know. He is not the finished article by any stretch of the imagination. But once again, like I mentioned about giving players time, Fulham don't have that luxury to be able to try and, and do that kind of thing. They're in trouble right now. They need players that are going to get them out of it. 
And Kamara yep. at the moment just isn't doing that. He's not going to be able to do that. It's a, a frustrating one. I'm glad that you mentioned it in that way because, like you said, I actually think Ranieri likes what he offers, but he, it's he's not the finished product. I, power and pace. He has both of them. That's what he wants. You Because know, I, I remember some quotes from him talking about other teams have power and pace, and I could see read between the lines that that's why I think he's using Kamara to offset that, to have his own power and pace. But he just doesn't have the finishing. And like you said, he's overall not the finished article. So, so very interesting on him. Uh, point, already... if, if Kamara could finish and if yep. Kamara could do all that, he'd play for Real Madrid. <laughs> if he had all that, he would play for Real Madrid. Well, he has he the does. body type. He has you know, the body I mean, type. He... he looks like he could be the complete footballer. Yeah. If he had the on-field intelligence, he would play yeah. for Real Madrid. Yeah, no, that's very interesting there. All right, just to quickly talk about Kearney. We've already talked about him. You gave him a four. Anything else you want to add about Kearney? No, I, just, I think enough I think enough's been said about Kearney. You know, I thought he was wa- wasted out on the right. I'd like to see him more in the centre again, but I don't know where that fits into him. The only reason I can see Kamara playing as that 10 at the moment is because of that pace and power, as you said. Using him on the counter, Tom Kearney doesn't have that, but Kearney has all the footballing ability that Kamara doesn't have, so... Yep. It's that kind of toss-up. Yeah, he was disappointing for me. Okay. Mitro, you gave a five. This is what you said quickly. We're starved of the ball again and started to drift into areas of space outright, meaning the side had not outlet in the box to aim for. He saw very little of the ball in the second half, but battled with the center halves to try and make space for himself. So uh, quickly on uh, Mitro. Yeah, it's it's what we've seen all season of him. He doesn't get the service. And when he doesn't get the service, he starts to drift deeper and into space looking for the ball. But when he does that, you're without anything up front. And that's where Mitrovic is used. You know, that's where you want him. You want him in the box. You want him getting the ball to him with either his back to goal or crosses into the box to really make use for himself. I don't think he touched the ball in the second half, really. But you could see him battling with West Ham's two centre-halves to try and make space for himself in the box to get the ball. But there just was nothing going towards him. And he scored twice against Southampton when they got balls into the box. But since then, we haven't really seen that. And he hasn't scored since. You know, it's dried up again for him. So you can see him. I think after the game, I think he was arguing. I say arguing. He's having a heated discussion with Dennis Adoy after the game. And whether that was because he's not getting the service or he's frustrated is, I don't know. But it's clear, I think, that he is a frustrated character at the moment, that he's not getting that service. We saw under uh, Slavica that he was the focal point for that brilliant from attack last season. And that's why he scored so many goals. And it started off the same this season. You know, he was scoring goals for fun at the start. Yep. But it's dried up now because he's just not getting that service. And he's being asked to do a defensive job that we saw at Newcastle that doesn't suit him. Right. And that is, that's my worry about Mitrovic. You've got a striker who Ranieri thinks is the best, one of the best in Europe. And he's goal scoring for com- club and country in the last year. Speaks for itself. But you've got to use him properly to be able totally to get those great. goals from him. You have to keep him engaged. And listen, we're going to be seeing speculation, Ron. I think you're going to agree with me on this. Several teams are going to be in for Mitrovic. And uh, this is uh, going to be a delicate situation for Ranieri because he has to find ways to keep him involved as much as possible. I, I think Mitro cares about Fulham and cares about doing a job, but I think he's also frustrated. And they're gonna, he's going to have to figure ways to, to uh, get him service much more than he is lately. Um, you know, and, and again, for a couple of reasons. One, you need the goals. You need the goals from him. And also, you know, you need the player. And you don't want the player wanting to leave Fulham at this point when they desperately need a goal scorer. So there's a very interesting situation going on with him. It's something to watch because I already saw speculation uh, about Mitro this morning and it, it makes me a little bit fearful, but hopefully Fulham will uh, do what they can. I, I don't see him going anywhere, mainly okay. because Tony Khan's done a bit of brilliant business with him in that he signed him for around 20 million yep. and he's given him a massive contract. Mitrovic is scoring the goals. So if anyone wants to come and take Mitrovic off him, you're looking at a lot of money to pay I for him. For a man that's got seven goals in a struggling side, you know, you st- people still don't know. People at Fulham know exactly what he can do and how good he is. But people from the outside looking in might not see, you know, they might still think, is that the one, is that the Mitrovic from Newcastle? So if anyone wants to sign him, they're going to have to spend a lot of money on him and they don't know exactly what player they're getting. If it's the Newcastle one, or the one we've seen at Fulham for the last year. So I think signing Mitrovic on such a long contract was brilliant by Tony Khan. You know, he's done really well there. He's protected himself yep. and the club. So I don't think we're going to see Mitrovic going. And 
in terms of him being frustrated, of course he's going to be frustrated. You know, Djokovic was, you know, Djokovic hated saying it, like a father figure. You know, he's always saying yeah, that he's got his own dad and stuff like that. But there was that bond there. He, Djokovic did put him as the centre of it. But if anyone, if, if you've met Ranieri, if anyone's met Ranieri, they'd know that he's also that kind of figure. You want to play football for him. You know, he comes, he's a very in, influential person. I don't know if that's the right word, but he's yeah. very, he's someone you'd want to play football for. Right. And I think he's got that arm around the shoulder as well that Djokovic had with Mitrovic. So he's probably, yes, frustrated that they're losing and he's not scoring as many goals, but I can't see him packing it in in January because of Djokovic leaving. You know, I think Ranieri knows how good he is. He said in the, he said in the press how good he yep. is. And I do think, you know, Ranieri is the type of person you want to play football for. Okay, excellent. So I hope you're right there, my friend. All right, let's just finish up talking about the substitutes you gave them all five. So just quickly share your thoughts on Christie, Stefan Johansson, and Niskins Cabano. Yeah, I think speaking more about Christie's probably the better one because he played for half. I, I don't know. Yeah. I said it on Twitter. I don't know what he's got to do to play some football because I thought the lad had been doing brilliant in Chukanovic's last game and then uh, Claudio's first few games. Then he to then be dropped for Dennis Adoy. You know, I, I don't know what he's got what he's got to do. Yes, defensively, perhaps he's not the best, and he's probably better going forward. But he's improved immeasurably from this season alone. You know, he's he's improved game by game, and you can see that improvement in him. So while he came on for half for half, he got forward well. He did leave a bit of space in behind him that you know West Ham played into a little bit, and it left his his teammates to do. Dennis Adoy especially had to do a bit of defending down that right again. But I do think, you know, he's he's the right back at the moment. Clearly, Timmy, Timothy Fossey Mensah isn't rated. I don't know why or whatever, but clearly he's not. I was going to ask you do, you, do you have an idea of what's going on there, Ryan? Because we've been talking about this. We don't know what the deal is with him. We're speculating, um, Mike Gregg, again, we were talking about this on a prior show, that maybe this is an indication that he's going to go back to Manchester United, that they're basically freezing him out to make sure he doesn't get injured or anything like that, that so they can set him back. This is just us talking about. We're, we're just throwing it out there. We don't have any facts or anything like that. We're just saying, why else would he not be playing? Are they just saving him so they can send him back? Yeah, I, I think so. I don't think he'll be here past January. You know, it, they've, had, they've got, what, two lone players from the Premier League. There's yep. no point just having one of them if you're not going to use him. Chambers is playing regularly. I, reckon, I do reckon that Foster Mendes will be on his way back to United that'll free up a loan space that Fulham can then use to get someone else in in January that's going to help the team. Whether that's defensively, midfield, I don't know. But I'd say that's that's the likeliness that's going to happen, that they'll send Fossey Mensa back to free up one of those 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 loan spells they've got. Because he hasn't really had much of an impact and Ranieri just doesn't seem to rate him at all. I don't think he's been in any of the, the matchday squads. He's not, he's, so. not in, he's not injured. He's, he's fit. He's training every day at Motspur. But yeah, I do think it's going to be a case of they send him back up to up to Manchester yep. to bring in a, another loney that can that can help the squad. Okay, excellent. Quickly on, on Johansson and Cabano. I think this goes back to what we've been talking about on Cottage Talk, and you have been referenced a little bit on the player rating show. Premier League level players. Johansson and Cabano. When you look at the bench, and I looked at the bench, there are all these championship players, and here are two more examples. Nothing against Steph Joe or Cabano, and I feel bad for everything that Cabano's been through injury-wise, but I just don't know if they're, again, good enough for this level. Yeah, it's it's one of those. You know, Johansson came on, but he, he didn't have any impact on that on that match at all, and we saw the the customary Stefan Johansson yellow card in the 90th minute where he just <laughs> took some player out for, for absolutely no reason other than because it's Stefan Johansson. <laughs> And then Niskins Cabano, you know, he was frozen out a bit. A bit. He was frozen yeah. out under Djokanovic completely. And he didn't really get any game time. Then he got injured against Exeter. But out of all those players you see on that team, he's the only out-and-out winger you have. So when Ranieri talks about wanting to get more crosses into the box from Mitrovic and stuff like that, yeah. when you're looking at the players they've got, Cabano's probably the one player that's going to be able to do that. That's right. So, you know, Aite isn't a winger. He won't get balls into the box. Jarlow's struggling to get balls into the box. Kearney's not a winger, full stop. Vieto isn't a winger. So no. when you look at it, Cabano's probably the only proper winger yeah. Fulham have in terms of out-and-out winger. I know Ryan Sessignol plays out there and does extremely well, but you wouldn't call him no. a, a, an out-and-out winger in terms of someone that can beat their man 
and get balls in. But that, that for me is Cabano, well, and I, Cabano, I don't know. I don't know why Cabano's. I mean, yes, technically he's probably not the best player in the world, but he wants to play football, and he's gonna give you something different to what the team has. Maybe it's because he can't do the defensive side or whatever. But it's a strange one. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of Cabano. I thought we would see more of Cabano under under Ranieri, but again, he's been limited to a bit part, unfortunately. Okay. Thank you very much for all this, Ryan. I, I have one more question for you. Do you got time for one question? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Here's a player that barely played with Fulham last season. Ibrahim Assise came on as a substitute in the prior match, not this match. What are your thoughts about him potentially playing a defensive midfielder role? Again, did not play much last season, probably didn't fit in the way Jokanovic wanted to play. Could he potentially have a role here? The last time I saw Cissé play was against Exeter. And <laughs> for me, he his job was the defensive midfield role there. But he allowed Exeter's strikers and midfielders to overrun him and get attacks onto the, onto the centre-halves. So if you're asking me from what I've seen of him in the past, then absolutely not. Okay. He, he, there's no way in God's hell and heaven and everything else that he could play that role. But... Okay. Again, I don't know what he does on the training ground. I, I didn't see him at Old Trafford. I wasn't at Old Trafford, so I can't comment on that one. But yep. from what I've seen of Ibrahim Assise, then no, I don't think he's that, that defensive midfielder they're looking for. And I think there's probably a reason why Ranieri still isn't using him and he's simply on the bench. And that's because Anguisa has been injured and suspended. Sure. Okay, very good. I just was curious about that. We, we just mentioned that in, uh, after the uh, Manchester United match. We just said, oh, he finally played and uh, didn't do... Terribly, and just wondering if that was an indication of uh, more things to come. So definitely uh, appreciate your feedback on CSA. All right, Ryan, listen, thank you so much for doing this. I know we ran a little bit long here, but I really appreciate it. No, that's fine. Absolutely. Anytime. I've missed coming on these and and talking to someone that will actually listen to me about Fulham. So it's been fun. I'll always listen to you, Ryan. I'll always, uh, <laughs> always have time for you, my friend. You know, you're a very busy person. So to, to have uh, time to do this is uh Special. So so thank you so much for doing this. No, absolutely no worries, Ross. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. For my special guest, Ryan O'Donovan from London. I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.